Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. We continue our study on restore, restoration, moving through the month of October, preparing for a special celebration at the end of the month with a, a week of prayer and fasting. You'll be hearing more about that next week, and then a day of prayer, and then on the 25th to come together with a, as a sacred assembly to, to pray, to share testimonies, uh, to confess, and to rejoice and celebrate. I'm looking forward to that. Today we're going to talk about the importance of making public commitments. The phrase going public is used when a, a business decides to, to do their initial public offering out there and to take stockholders and shareholders and those businesses grow. Going public is one of those words that's used to say, this company is just about to explode. Well, when we think about the issue of going public as Christ followers, it's often those commitments that we share publicly that God uses to, to move and work in a great way in our lives. So the children of Israel have gathered. Remember the story. Maybe you haven't heard as we've been following through this. But after the children of Israel were settled in the promised land, uh, because of their disobedience over the generations, uh, they were taken into captivity. First, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And then secondly, the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken away uh, by the Babylonians. And they spent over 70 years in exile. And then finally, some of the people are coming back to the land. And that's what's happening in the the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah leads a group of of, uh, uh, believers back to the promised land and they rebuild the wall. They read the word of God. Ezra leads the people and they worship God. And this culmination here in chapters 9 and 10 is this public commitment of the people of God as they come together as a community of faith saying we're going to do what God has asked us to do. So if you would follow along, we're going to read just a few verses from this commitment. Verse 38 in chapter 9. In view of all this, And all this is everything that's taken place before as they've read how God has challenged them to be obedient and they've stepped up and talked about his faithfulness. In view of all of that, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, the Levites and the priests. And there's a description of all the people that that signed that. But skip down to verse 28 in chapter 10 with me. After all these leaders signed it, the Bible says the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with their wives, sons, and daughters, everyone who was able to understand and who had separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, statutes, of Yahweh our Lord. We will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. When the surrounding people 
bring merchandise or of any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. Now let me just, uh, just kind of uh, fill in the blanks here. One of the things that caused God to bring judgment on the children of Israel is they intermarried with the pagans in the land there. And he told them to be careful about that because when you take a, a pagan uh, wife as your wife, that ultimately her religion is going to influence yours. And it diluted the faith and the people of God no longer worshipped him. They, they had their, their uh, commitment to him, but then it was always watered down by commitment to the pagan gods and goddesses. So they weren't to intermarry that way. And then he mentions the, the keeping the Sabbath, that special day holy to the Lord. And he talks about the sabbatical year, the Sabbath year. Every seven years the land was to rest and the, the debts were to be forgiven and the slaves were to be set free. So they're reminding themselves they'd forgotten to do all that stuff. And that's why God brought judgment. So they're saying we're going to do that. But look at verse 32. We will impose the following commands on ourselves. That's a significant statement. The people are saying, we the people are going to impose these commands on ourselves. And specifically, they speak of the, the gifts to the, uh, support the temple. To give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God. The bread displayed before the Lord. The daily grain offering. The regular burnt offerings. The Sabbath and new moon offerings the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for the work of Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. Specifically, what they're saying is we're making a commitment to make the worship of God a priority here. So there are a lot of applications for us, the people of God today, from this passage. And I had very, quite a few, but I've, I've narrowed it down to five. Okay, aren't you glad? Just five truths today. And all God's people said amen, right? Only five. Yeah, Wow. Our key truth as we've gone through this study is that God wants to take a broken people, us, and restore us to the place where he alone is Lord of every area of our lives, where he is master of our lives, so that he can draw other people to himself through our lives. That's what we're looking at throughout the the, the Restore series. So number one, the first truth here about public commitments, public commitments declare to others where we stand. Public commitments declare to others where we stand. In verse 38 of chapter 9, this binding agreement they said that we're making before all the people. In verse 1 of chapter 10, it talks about they put seals on the document saying that that we're signing that document and making it official. They were drawing the line in the sand and saying, we today are committing ourselves to obey God. When I was a kid, I loved watching uh, the old war movies and westerns and stuff, whether it was the, the Magnificent Seven or the Dirty Dozen. I just loved it where a bunch of underdogs got together and went to accomplish something great. And, and usually in those scenes, whether it's those scenes or Kelly's Heroes, those kind of shows where there's a leader and he, he challenges the guys. These are the guys. That was, that was good. The little boy, I like to see that. Challenge the guys to, to take this impossible mission on. And usually they would say, if you agree to go on this mission, you may not come back. And I loved it where they all, they all crossed the line or they said, we're in or you can count on us. Or they got on their horse and rode, you know, whatever. That those, those guys who said publicly, we're in, that always got me excited as a kid. That's what the children of Israel are saying here to Nehemiah, Ezra, those leading, saying, we're in. We're, we're making a public declaration that we stand with God. That's exactly what happened. Every opportunity we have here to baptize someone at Coastal Oaks Church, and we'll have several next Sunday morning already scheduled. Uh, when we have a person come before you and we, that person is baptized we're not saying to you that the baptistry waters wash away their sin. We're not saying that the baptism 
makes them a Christian. We're just saying this person is publicly taking a stand for Christ. That's biblical baptism. That's to say, here I am, I belong to the Lord now. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writing to Timothy said this to him, Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. You make a statement in the presence of many witnesses that you've been called to fight the good fight. Can I paraphrase it? Take a stand that you're standing with Christ. Make it it public. Go public with this. In Acts chapter 5, I love this, this passage. Peter and the, uh, the disciples, God using them uh, to preach on the day of Pentecost and the church is growing. And we have the situation with Ananias and Sapphira uh, coming before Peter in line there as, as they worshiped. And, and because of all the signs and wonders that the apostles did, they end up in prison. And look at verse 19 of chapter 5 in Acts. But the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, listen to what the angel said to them, go and stand in the temple complex and tell the people all about this life. The message paraphrases it this way, go to the temple and take your stand. Here's what God says to us, Christ followers. You go and you take a stand and tell those folks about this life. Tell them what's different about your life. Tell them what's been transformed, what's changed, why your life is different. Make a stand. Make this declaration. Number one, public commitments declare to others who you stand with. may not be perfect grammar, but that's the way I said it. It says to everyone, this is, I'm aligning myself with the people of God. Number two, public commitments can hold us accountable to others. Public commitments can and should hold us accountable to others. Looking at verse 28 and 29 in chapter 10, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and if that wasn't enough, he says, everyone who was able to understand, I love the whole families were included, kids were included in this, when they understood the implications of obedience, it says that they join together and they commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God that he'd given them. Holding each other accountable. One of the the great things about this passage of Scripture that I love about Nehemiah is it's all about community. It's not just Nehemiah saying, I'm going to follow the Lord. It's not just Nehemiah saying, this is what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to do it. It's saying, let's do this together. And the people joined in. Did you know that we are the community of God's people today? And we are the church. And and when we come together, it should be a a public thing where we're declaring our faith. When we sing those songs, that Christ is enough. When we say, Jesus is the only one. That's a public declaration and proclamation that we belong to him. And we're saying to other people, you hold me accountable to this. The story is told about a a guy that would stand up in a church service and uh, he would pray, oh, Lord, fill me every week. Oh, Lord, fill me. And he, that was his prayer, real loud to get, make a big deal. Oh, Lord, fill me. And finally, somebody who knew him well just stood up and said, Lord, don't listen to him. He leaks. <laughs> this public, you'll get, some of you get that later. This public <laughs> commitment, when we say, I'm following Christ, lets others know, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. In chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, listen to this prayer that Paul prayed. By the way, I've been going through the book of Ephesians and and Philippians and looking at these prayers that Paul prayed. I I just love praying those prayers back to God. Look at verse, uh, verse 19. 
This is what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I, pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. You know what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus? Not only do I want you to pray for me, you hold me accountable to this. You check up on me. You make sure that I'm boldly proclaiming the gospel. When you ask a person to pray for you, that you would be a, a, a dedicated servant of Christ, they need to be checking up on you. You need to be holding one another accountable. And that's what the, the children of Israel were doing when they came together and said, we make this commitment together, just like Paul. When we have a parent and child dedication here, we have it periodically. Uh, most churches call it a baby dedication. And, and I know what you're thinking, and that makes sense, but I like to always say this is a parent-child dedication because we often have kids that aren't babies, so that changes that. But it's the parents making the commitment. When we line our parents up here on this, on the, sometimes on the steps, sometimes on the floor, sometimes on the stage, and they're holding their children or they've got their children by the hands, they're saying we're making a public commitment to raise our kids to follow Christ. And I ask those parents, will you faithfully share Christ with your kids? And I, I want them to say yes. And then I ask this congregation, congregation, will you pray, I'm paraphrasing, will you pray for these people and as they raise their kids, will you be there for them? And the congregation will say, yes, or we do. That's a, a public commitment coming together saying we're going to hold one another accountable. Specifically, there needs to be somebody in your life holding you accountable. Who is that? Ought to be your spouse to begin with. Ought to be somebody who knows you well. Recently, a situation happened. My daughter's on the mission field right now. She's in Malawi right now, right? Malawi right now. And some things that happened in some counseling situations there, and Carissa became concerned about me and Kelly and our marriage just because some things that were going on there in the ministry there. And so she had this nightmare about us. And so she called me from at, from at the time she was in Vietnam or Cambodia. I'm not sure where she was. And she said, Dad, I need to ask you a question. I said, sure, babe. She said, are you and Mom Okay. I said, yeah. She said, you haven't been unfaithful to your mother, have you, to mom? I said, no, why? What are you, why are you asking this? And she said, I had this very vivid dream that something had happened and that you'd cheated on mom. And then I, there were some circumstances and some counseling, and I, I, just, and, and I could just see the fear in her eyes. I'm just, I listened to the fear in her voice that, that something happened. I said, sweetie, we're good. But man, I'm impressed that you would call me on this. We were talking in the foyer afterwards, so we said, isn't it great when our kids hold us accountable? And I told her, I said, Carissa, listen, babe, you and your brother have permission. Anytime you see me out of line, to call me on it. Anytime there's a questionable relationship, anytime you see me not living like I should, you call me on it. So I've got my two kids holding me accountable. I'm a wife and friends. There needs to be someone in your life. Public commitments have a tendency to do that. When you're willing to stand up and say, I am going to follow Christ, the people of God ought to say, okay, let's see it. I need to move on. Number three, public commitments remind us of our priorities. Kelly, did I tell that story right? Did I, did I mess it up? Okay. Sometimes I'll tell a story and Kelly say, you probably shouldn't have said that that way. Or anyway, I'm... Public commitments remind us of our priorities. Again, look at verse 29 in chapter 10. When they come together 
with their noble brothers and they commit themselves, listen, with a sworn oath to, oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to carefully obey all the commands, ordinances, and statutes of Yahweh our Lord. Here's what they're saying. We want this public oath to hold us accountable to the word of God so that the priorities of God's word would be the priorities of our life. So that the values that God has would be our values. Do you know why the children of Israel got so messed up and, and were carried away into captivity and bondage? Because they let the world's values seep into their culture and their families and their worship. And they no longer were different than the world. And so they're saying again, we're making this renewed commitment to the word of God so that our lives will be different. And when you make a public commitment like that, you remind yourselves of the priorities that God should be first, that God's values should be first. If you move down through this passage, um, look at verse 32. I'm not sure what I have in your notes, but we will impose the following commands on ourselves to give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of our house of our God. The bread displayed before the Lord. That's the show bread there in the temple. The daily grain offering, the regular burn offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel, and all for all the work of the house of our God. Here's what they were saying. In, in the midst of committing to keep the, the Sabbath year, and to forgive the dead, and to set the slaves free, and to let the land rest, they're saying, we're going to be faithful in our obedience to giving to the cause of the kingdom. For them, it was the temple, because that's the place where they came to worship. For us, it's the kingdom. It's not just this building, it's the cause of Christ. And so when I make a public commitment like that, to give, I'm reminding myself of the priorities. Every time I tithe, it's a reminder of my priorities. This morning, when I got out my laptop, and I went to the Coastal Oaks Church website, and I clicked online where it says give, and I give today and then I went and put my my password in and I hit the check and I typed in my amount and I sent it and it said thank you for your donation it reminded me that I belong to Christ it reminded me that I've committed myself to this body of believers and I and and I'm I'm being held accountable as a steward and when I gave that percentage of my income for some of you it's 10 percent for some of us we've moved beyond that when I gave that percentage of my income it wasn't to say God I've given you what's yours now the rest is mine. Help me be a good steward of that. No, I do want to be a good steward of that. But here's what I was saying. When I give, it's a reminder that it all belongs to God. And I say, God, this, and I, I really sometimes actually say that in my heart to the Lord. Lord, this is a reminder that everything I have belongs to you. I'm just giving you this portion to remind myself of that. That's what a public commitment does. And whether you're online on your computer or on your cell phone, you can do that now, or whether you drop an offering in those offering boxes or you have direct deposit, whatever it is that you do, every time that gift goes out, it's a reminder of your priorities, reminding themselves of the commitment that they made. Priorities. Every time you take a stand, every time you profess or confess to follow Christ, it reminds you and others of what's important to you. I love the story that's told about a, Kentucky basketball widow. There was a huge rivalry between University of Louisville and University of Kentucky. They, whenever they meet, it's called the dream game, and the arena is sold out. And in one of, these, one of these dream games, this lady is sitting, and there's an empty seat next to her. And so people are curious, you know, sold out arena, why is there an empty seat? And so this guy asks her, why is that seat empty? And she says, well, she said, I was recently, my husband recently passed away, and we've been season ticket holders for over 20 years 
and, and that was his seat. And the guy says, man, couldn't you find a friend or a relative to, to use his ticket today? And she says, uh, no way. He said, they're all at his funeral right now. <laughs> Priorities. Priorities. Public commitments remind us of that. Number four, public commitments can enhance the impact of leadership. Some of you will get that later. Public commitments can enhance the impact of leadership. Walk through this passage with me. Look at chapter 10, verse 1, how the the commitments enhance the impact of leadership. In verse 1 of chapter 10, those whose seals were on the document were, who's the first name there? Nehemiah, the governor. Nehemiah the governor. Skip down to verse 8 with me. Listing these people. These were the priests. Verse 9. These were the Levites. Look at verse 14. These are the leaders of the people. Skip on down to verse 28. The rest of the people. Everyone. This is a, a picture of how God wants biblical leaders to set an example, to lead by example, and the people will follow. Listen, folks, Christ is not interested in people that won't follow him. He wants followers. And as a, a follower of Christ, it's, it's my responsibility to be, to be obedient. And as a leader, it's my responsibility to set an example and to model that. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. That's exactly what the priests and the Levites did. They all had that, that fulfilled that responsibility to represent the people, and the people followed their lead. If you would... Rewind quite a ways to Joshua when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land before they got it all messed up in that that much space right there. (laughs) And Joshua calls the people in chapter 24 and and, and he says to them, okay, choose this day who you're going to serve. Whether you're going to serve the gods of the people in the land, which were the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and all the ites, the pagans, or if you're going to choose to serve the Lord. And he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, what did he say? We will serve the Lord. And the people said, we're in. We're in. That's, what, that's what the way leadership works. I've made a commitment years ago that I'm, I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't be willing to do. To say, I want to lead by example. That's the way God uses leadership. I think about the story of David in 1 Chronicles 29 as they're getting the, the offering together for the temple. And the Bible says David gave him his own personal treasury to, to, to build the temple. Not just as a king, but his own personal uh, income he gave. And then you move down through that passage and it says the leaders of the households gave and the leaders of the tribes gave and the leaders of the hundreds and thousands gave. Everyone gave. And it says the people rejoiced and they were willing to give because of the leader's willingness to give. I don't, you may not be a pastor of a church, but you're leading somebody. Dad, you're leading your family in stewardship, in obedience, in faithfulness, in the way you're going to draw a line in the sand and say, these are my values, this is what's important to me. Talk to one of our young men this morning about how they're homeschooling and how they're seeing a change in just the mindset of their kids because those values that they value are being instilled and not some other kids' values. You have a responsibility, moms and dads. Leaders, if you're, if you're leading in any capacity in any church, you have a responsibility. 
And you, as you follow Christ, and you draw a line in the sand, it's going to impact others. Number five. The fifth truth from this passage for us today. Biblical, biblical commitments. I'm sorry, public commitments. They ought to be biblical, right? Public commitments can be more binding than private commitments. Public commitments can be more binding than private commitments. And I have it in quotes. I'm taking the language from verse 38 of chapter 9. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing. A binding agreement. And then verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 says, they put their seals on that document. And verse 32 says, we impose these commands on ourselves. Don't misunderstand me. I, I know that you can make a private commitment. And I know that it's all about the heart. You, you don't have to make it public. But as I look at Scripture, and I see what Scripture says about it, and I look at my own personal life and my experience and look at the experience of other believers, those public commitments that we make have more of a, have more of a bind on us than if it was a private. When we tell someone, I'm going to start tithing today. When we tell someone, I'm going to quit doing that. We tell our kids, I'm going to quit this habit. I'm going to stop going there. I'm going to stop doing this. When you make that public, it's more binding on you in your own heart. So that's what I'm talking about here. When I made a commitment to Mary Kelly 34 years ago. Four? I don't know. Five. 30. It'll be pretty, pretty soon, 35. Boy, you know it's a long time when she can't even remember uh, I stood in front of a congregation and um, I made a promise to her and I made a promise to God and I'm, I made a promise to that congregation that I was taking her as my wife and I was going to be faithful to her. And I meant it in my heart and something about saying that in front of all those people said, okay, Kevin, this is real. Y'all remember those moments? I'm standing back there getting ready to walk down, standing back in the back there. This is real. It's about to happen. I am about to walk out that door and march in this row with the pastor and these other people and stand on that stage and say I do to this gal. It took me a while to say I do because we had a mini concert before we got married. I think everybody in her family and every friend sang a song. Kelly even sang to me in our wedding. But it was very real at that moment. It was almost surreal that here I am saying to all these people and to God and everybody, I'm committing my life to her. That's what a public commitment is, and that's what it does. It's, it's binding. I want us to look at one more passage. I think one more. I may have another. I'm not sure. Let's see. Yeah, just look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Where is Matthew? Chapter 10, verse 32. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Now, I can't explain that, but I, I accept it. Jesus says if I deny him He's going to deny me before the Father. If I stand for him, he's going to speak for me. 
And I believe this is about a public commitment. Romans chapter 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we will be saved. With the heart man believes, with the mouth man confesses. Leon Morris says about this truth about accepting Christ and standing for him publicly. He talks about the fact that this everyone, when he says, verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me indicates a totality. There are no exceptions. It's an open declaration of obedience. We're declaring publicly that we belong to him. Have you done that? Have you publicly told a group of people, I belong to Christ because I've trusted him as my personal Lord and Savior? Recently in Oregon, some people had to say, I'm standing with Jesus. Some folks at Columbine did that. All over the world today, today, people are being martyred because they're not willing to say that they would deny Christ. They're going to say, I stand for Christ. That public declaration, it's that binding agreement with God that says, I want others to know and I want others to hold me accountable. See, God wants to restore his broken people so that he alone will be in a place of lordship so that he can draw others to himself. Part of this restoration that we're talking about moves us into October 25th when we as a people are going to get to stand up and say, this is what God's done in my life. This is how I accepted Christ. This is when I've trusted Him. This is when I've walked in obedience. But we have an opportunity this morning to do that too. Maybe some of you have come to know Christ as your Savior, but you've never publicly made a profession of that. You've never stood in front of a congregation and said, I follow Christ because I've trusted Him as my Savior. Maybe you've never been baptized by immersion as a believer. We had one young lady come in the the 8.30 service, and this is her story, much like mine, that she was, as as a child, went through the motions of making a commitment but didn't really make a commitment. She was baptized and went on to live her life in the teenage years and then the young adult years, came and saw disobedience. But as a young adult, she trusted Christ as her Savior. And she came this morning saying, I need to be baptized biblically as a believer. Maybe that's you. Maybe you made a decision as a kid that wasn't really a decision. You just went through the motions like we did. And as an adult, you've trusted Christ and you've never been baptized by immersion. Maybe that's the public decision that you need to make today. Maybe you've followed Christ. Maybe you've been biblically baptized by immersion. But you fail to take a stand for him with your values, with your family, with your coworkers. And today, maybe when we have this time of commitment to close, you just can come and get on your knees and say, God, I want to stand for you at my workplace. I want to stand for you where I go to school. I want to stand for you in my community. Let's be people who are willing to make public commitments and hold one another accountable to that. Let's pray together.